Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hello. Oh, good morning. Good morning. How are good you? Good morning. Good morrow, top of the morning. <laughs> top of the morning. How is everything, William? On the morrow. Did you know I was looking at something? Uh, I was looking at that they have these things called nerd merit badges. Are you familiar with these nerd merit badges? Yeah, I think I, uh, I think I've seen those. Yeah. Did you know that there's one for Inbox Zero? As featured in uh, Paul Ford's uh, article. Yeah I, yeah, I, I, first of all, glad to see Paul Ford writing again. Yeah, uh, nice to be in the sights on that one. Yeah, a second, uh, he, <laughs> he's, he's talking about this. It's so nice to be to still be so widely misunderstood after eight years. <laughs> but, but that just it, it, it really made me think about, uh, about how things have changed on the web, both in in writing. Because of Paul Ford is now medium is where he goes to write things, mm-hmm. and so many other people as well, and that that there are merit badges for Inbox Zero, right? <laughs> just those two things popped up this morning. It was just so w- weird for me. Well, let me take off my crunchy old man hat and say, um, first of all, <laughs> Paul's an excellent writer. Sure and is. I, I very very lightly know him. I've had like a phone call with him, and he's like a hero of mine. I think he's great. He is great. Uh, uh. And the nerd merit badge thing is funny. I think I saw it on Boing Boing like a million years ago. But there, it's, it's a really funny idea. It's a, I, I think it's clever. It is, but <clears throat> I'll get back to your point about the writing because I think that is interesting. But I don't know. I still, I still times, sometimes feel um, uh, a little sensitive about the Inbox Zero stuff. Maybe because of the book, but also just because of it's like, oh, God, no. If I ever said <clears throat> that thing that you thought I said, I'm sorry I said that because that's not really <laughs> what I meant. Yeah. I just if I feel like I feel like a duck in a shooting gallery. It's like, well, if you think the idea of uh, email is to always keep it at zero, it's like, well, that's not precisely. It was a catchy name I thought up one morning, like that was the the, the thing, and then it became a thing. And like, I'm not saying go read it. I swear to God, I'm I'm not saying you have to answer all of your email all the time. <laughs> I'm saying you need a you need a system and you need a new way of thinking. I, 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 you know what? I, I, I might want to come back to that because I think that's interesting. The, the writing thing is super interesting. And I, I guess, I, I don't know if you're pointing out the same thing that I've noticed, but it, it is funny how yeah, Matt Howie has talked about this. Lots of people have talked about this, how funny it is that on the one hand, you've got all this stuff that goes into, in my circles, goes into Twitter. I guess for other people, that could be Facebook. In my case, somewhat Tumblr. Uh, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, there aren't that many of us that, you know, even so many of the people I know, very few people have an actively maintained blog, A. Yeah. <laughs> that is B, the primary place that they think of as their internet home. And that was, that was De Regeer. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, by the I mid-2000s. Mean, that is such an interesting point for me because that was what you had. Into, I mean, I don't know when this changed. Maybe Twitter helped to kind of change that, but everyone had a blog, even if it was not very well read and even if it was a haircut blog, but you had a blog and this is like, (laughs) I, I go here to share my stuff and this is where I post my stuff. And if you want to know what's going on with me or hear my thoughts, then it, it, here's where I post it. And if it's good, other people will link to it. And eventually they, they came up with, you know, like John's uh, linked list concept of linking that, that Kotke also did. And, that that was like how this is a good thing you should read how this took care of 
the discovery for you is that you followed the blogs that you liked and they pointed at other blogs and inserted quotes from those blogs and you would then find those blogs where you would then go to read those and RSS news readers and it all built into this thing. And I feel like Twitter has really changed that and now Medium has kind of changed that again. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. I got a lot of thoughts about that. I think you're right. And it's like so many things have changed. Like, when did it change? Well, I can't tell you like the day that it changed, but I can tell you of all the many factors that led to that, I think the obvious one is that people put stuff online because they want people online to see it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was, there was a time when people like, you know, still today, even Gruber or people like me at a certain time might say, well, I would never give up the independence of having my own hosted website that's where everything's the way I want it to be. Mm-hmm. But I think increasingly over time, I mean, and now we, now we get into the cascade, but I think it starts with, you want to be somewhere where people are going to see it. And I think increasingly you want to be somewhere where people can tell you they like it. Yes. And where people can share it. And, you know, just there's so many things that led up to that. I mean, it, it, honestly, even... So like Kung Fu Grip was my first, Kung Fu Grip and Fives were my first, like I think semi-well-known movable type sites. I, I'd done tons of sites on movable type. Like I said a couple episodes ago, I used, I just, you know, I, I treated my parasite like a $2 whore. I would put anything up. Anytime I had the vaguest idea for a website, I have a, I have a website <laughs> out there that's nothing but fake guided by voices song titles. Like I would just come up with that stuff. That's how Fives was born. Right. But, you know, back then also, everyone I knew was reading, probably using NetNewsWire. Oh, for sure, yeah. If you were a Mac user, you used NetNewsWire. That was how you consumed, like, blogs and posts and news and everything. At least everyone I knew was on that. Yeah, and I think for a time, there was an really interesting period where people like Jason Kotke, the usual suspects, right? Jason Kotke, um, you know, Cam World. Uh, bifurcated rivets, robot wisdom, random walks, like all the blogs that we all really looked up to um, in the early 2000s. We all wanted to emulate that. And I mean, uh, I think, you know, that standard started to emerge. The standard of having a freestanding website with posts about things, usually with a short annotation and a link. Rarely, I mean, I think at the time, mostly rarely photos because it was still kind of a pain to do photos. It was not as easy. I mean, if you were on Blogger, it was not super easy. Uh, even with movable type, it was not super duper easy. You still kind of had to host it yourself somewhere. <clears throat> and um, but, but there was an interesting kind of little golden period, I think, in blogs where there were a lot of people who were putting some of their best stuff on their personal website. That was getting sucked up into RSS readers. And for a time, I think people were using RSS... I can't say this scientifically, but for a time, people were using it for its original intention, was mm-hmm. to let you know something had been updated. So you see there was an update, you click that link and go look at their website. And then, so one of the changes became, I think for nerds, we got more habituated to the idea that we didn't even really have to visit the website. And so you know, today, I guess I really am an old man because I still use RSS a lot to keep up with stuff. And I, you know, I relatively rarely go and, and look at those pages. You know, so even stuff like Dave Pell's newsletter, you know, I, I read that, you know, in a newsreader. I don't read the email version. So any, anyway, but then I don't know. I think the, you've got to follow where the, where the crowds go. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what the really, the ones that really got me excited. What was the first Friendster? That was the first oh, kind yeah. of big one. And later Orcut was kind of the hipster version of that, <laughs> which I think only just in the last few weeks they announced they're going to shut down. But, um, 
So then the other seismic shift, and I'll shut up, but the other seismic shift that's so interesting is I think that people, I, I can look at, I can, I've seen this on Tumblr. I've seen this now on Twitter. I mean, I notice how many notes there are on something. I know if I put up a video of like the greatest Roy Wood and the Move song ever made, like Don Schaffner and Scott Simpson will, will heart it. And that's about it. Like nobody is interested in watching a video by the Move. I learned that, but I don't care. I still put it up, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put up a quote from something, so there's this like this weird cascade uh, this, that I see on Tumblr, and it's moved to Twitter now, which is like if you post a really long thing on Tumblr, people are going to just fly past it. Oh, yeah. Especially if you don't use the read more link. Please learn about the read more link. Um, if you don't have a cut in there, because that just fills up the dashboard, and people want to get onto their kitten pictures. Um, but then if you have like a quote from something. People may not even read the linked article, but they'll really like the quote. The thing that I've noticed on Twitter, and I guess this is just a thing that people have known, and I'm only getting this now. Notice how many people exploit the constraint of Twitter by not posting text in a toot, but they'll put up a GIF of a chunk of text, like basically a highlighted paragraph they'll make into a GIF and attach that to a toot. So, you know, I'm not trying to draw any big conclusions about that what that means for us intellectually or culturally, but it, you know, it's definitely stuff is definitely getting winnowed down into these two. I, th- I feel like these two big ends of, of a spectrum. On the one end, you've got this sub bite sized content mm-hmm. that can fit into a tweet or an image, and at the other end, you got the sort of long reads phenomenon, or you've got something like Medium. And I'm given I've never used Medium, but I'm given to believe one reason a lot of people like it is because of the posting interface is is so great. But yeah, I, I think it's a really, it's an interesting trend. And I, I don't know, I kind of miss that period. You know, like I remember when I very first yoinked Kotke's idea, circa 2002 or three, where I had... What, for like li- linking lists with yeah, quotes? Yeah, well, how did I do this? I did it, I couldn't even begin to tell you how I did this now, but it was a movable type. I think I created a, a, a second, like non-public movable type blog and had it pull in entries from that with allies. You know, just you know, list items, and then there'd be the most recent post at the top, and the five most recent links below it, a la Robot Wisdom style. You know, yeah. Remember, like Robot Wisdom, I thought was so great at this. That idea of like it's a single sentence with a link in it, like one of the words is linked mm-hmm. or something. If yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. I always love that format. That's some people still do that really well, but it's well, it's a challenge to do that. <laughs> but one of the one of the questions, just kind of as a meta question for the question you're sort of answering at the topic we're talking about is, you know, we had this concept, as you said, the personalized space. This is our site that people want to go to. And there was, there was this uproar. If for example, your RSS feed pointed, even though it was a link to another site, if it pointed at back to your own site. So like, mm-hmm. let's say I found a neat post by Merlin Mann and I had on HiveLogic, Merlin Mann's great tips for Inbox Zero. And I had a quote from Inbox Zero and that was in my RSS feed. If you're using an RSS feed reader, this is back in, you know, 1902, and <laughs> you, you uh, hit the right arrow, which is going to launch that in a browser, hopefully in a new tab, if we even had tabs yet, uh, then that should go to Merlin Mann's post, not Dan Benjamin's post on HiveLogic about Merlin's Mann's post <laughs> on 43 folders or wherever. That was a hot topic for a while. Yes, and that was like a big, like, oh my gosh, they're just trying to get page views. They're trying to get ad... Well, yes, they were. They were. Also, some uh, publishing tools didn't support it the other way unless you really knew what you were doing. But the the question that I have is, at least today, 
why are people writing posts? Why are they posting things in the first place? They're posting them because they want people to read them, A, and maybe B, it might be connected in some way to their livelihood. But let's just assume it's A, that they want other people to read it. If they want other people to read it, does it matter whether it's on your own site or whether it's on someone else's site? If the goal is to get it read, wouldn't you want to put it in the place where the most possible people could, you could possibly see it? Yeah. Because I Medium, think- if I wanted to write a post today about, about anything, would I put it on HiveLogic where eight, nine people come to read about, you know, programming fonts or would I put it on, uh, you know, on Medium where, if it's good and if enough people like it, it could really, really get a huge uh, viewership. I would put it on Medium. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I think you've nailed it. And it's, it's kind of the uh, reemergence of how things started, which was if you had a blogger site or you had a gray matter site or you had a, a whatever, you know, uh, what's the one you used to use? Um, Oh, I mean, you've got a WordPress expression, expression, engine. expression engine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you had one of those, like, but back, even back in the day when it was basically Blogger or Gray Matter or um, movable type, mo- eventually movable type, yeah. which was the best. Um, there are still huge sites running on movable type. Huge sites. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because I, I think Gruber still runs on movable type. Yeah. I know that somebody was saying, you know, uh, was on Twitter was asking, you know, how can you can you get the correct a length of the episodes, you know, into the RSS feed for Roderick on the Line. I was like, well, I think the way the Incomparable did that was Greg Noss doing some kind of RSS magic. That's part right. of the beauty of movable type. It's such a great way to like, I, it was a great introduction for me to go from somebody who was a whacker in web design to somebody who was a whacker in web development. Like just learning just enough about that meta language, which I thought was so, so canny, so brilliant. But, but the funny, even then though, even if you had one of those sites, if you weren't one of the marquee bloggers, uh, I don't know. It was kind of like having a studio apartment in Concord or Walnut Creek. It's like you could invite people to the party, but it was a little bit of a slog to get out there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so if you're, uh, I'm sorry, those are those are bedroom uh, communities of San Francisco. If you, um, so if if you if you got a strip club uh, in Times Square, you can stand out front and like say, hey, come come in here and check this out. It doesn't have to be a strip club. It could be a Toys R Us. But you know, if you're trying to say to somebody, all you need to do is to, you're already here. All you have to do is turn left and take five steps and you'll be inside this place where you can do this thing. Instead of saying, well, hey, we have a really cool place in New Jersey and a shuttle bus to get you there. It's just that it's not part of the, the flow for people, especially as RSS has declined in interest, especially after, really especially after Google Reader died. Um, I, I, think, I think people want to put stuff where it gets read. And Medium is a very interesting phenomenon to me specifically because I don't understand it. You know, Ev, who said this? Was it Gruber or somebody recently said, you know, Ev is so great at creating these things. Oh, it was Matt Howie. Uh, was saying Ev is so great at creating these services that make no sense at first mm-hmm. to anybody. Yeah. And then eventually it becomes <laughs> the most obvious thing in the world. Right. Why would anybody want to have a website where they posted updates? No, that makes no sense. That's really strange. Why would you, why would you want to have FTP access to a server from what is a blog? <laughs> right. you know, why would anybody want to listen to radio on their iPad? That's really strange. Right. Why, would, why would you want to do that? Why in the world <laughs> would you ever want to have an SMS-linked message that lots of people could read? That's a really... I was, I was very resistant to Twitter. I mean, it's one reason I have a different username than my actual name is I had to beg Twitter to like basically delete my account because I couldn't stand getting all the push updates in SMS. Oh man, I remember that. Ugh. But um, 
uh, it interests me. I don't know. It's but is so is something like Medium then that it seems because you you mentioned Matt Howey. Matt Howey had a big post on about about uh, Metafilter and the state of Metafilter and you know can he keep it going and how much it costs and things like that. Where did he post that on Metafilter? No, on Medium. You know, it's just it's fascinating to me how that has changed. If I had a video that I wanted to put out somewhere for the world to see it, would I put it on a website that I run? Well, yes, I would, but I would also put it on YouTube. Uh, you know, I would absolutely put it on YouTube because if it's a good video, people will find it there, or I can tell people that it's there. You know, the little the little party that we had up in uh, in in your your neck of the woods. I put that video up on YouTube. Of course, I could have put it on on uh, you know five by five or elsewhere, but it's on YouTube because hopefully somebody will will find it there, even if I'm not the one linking to it. Somebody yeah, might do a search people, and find it's it. It's where people look for videos, right? For, for one thing, but you know, I mean, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but you know, if I, I let's say I want to try and um, I don't know sell an old printer or something like that. Let's say I want to sell a bike. Well, the thing is, you can use a bike almost anywhere. But what's unique about that is it's a bike that I'm selling in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So that's something where even though it makes the most sense on the face of it to put up flyers in the laundromat to say I have a bike for sale, um, in it, as it turns out, it makes more sense to actually put it on Craigslist where not that anybody in San Francisco could find that bike for sale. But anybody who like in the world wanted to find it, if they were looking for this particular Schwinn bike from 1979 or whatever, <laughs> yeah. they might search all over the place to find it. It just, you know, it, it makes sense to put it there. I just, I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time on Medium. I end up there sometimes, but I, I don't, I have, I have faith that it will, I mean, I don't follow it. I end up, I'll follow a link to there, but I don't like go to medium to find stuff to read. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I don't know. It, it, it's also, you think about stuff like the rise of Buzz, Buzzfeed and Upworthy and similar kinds of sites, or for that matter, you know, stuff that had been sneaking up on us for a long time, long after Slashdot had kind of, wasn't Slashdot anymore. You already, you still had stuff like, I guess you had corrosion, but you also had stuff like something awful. Something awful, uh, you know, before, it seems to me like before 4chan was like where people would go to find like wackadoodle um, gifs and memes and stuff like that. But, you know, your, your point is, is, is interesting because I, I even in um, not so recent history, but I used to struggle with figuring out where to put something. Because I, you know, one reason I got so hung up about posting on 43 folders was I had, I had done so much hand-waving about, like, they're doing good work and do-do-do-do. I, I started to really self-edit about what I would put up there. And so sometimes I'd put that stuff on, you know, my Tumblr blog. And then there were other kinds of things where, like, it would be on my Tumblr blog, even though it really kind of belonged on 43 folders. You know, like, when I had to, to circle back to the Inbox Zero thing, when I wrote that update about Inbox Zero a year or two ago, I put that on, on Tumblr, partly because more people would see it there. You know? It's, it's, a, it's a strange decision to make, but... I don't well, know. it takes away, in a way, it takes away some of that ownership that we felt, but it it it's almost more of the old school publishing model, if you think about it, because if you were a writer 50 years ago and you wanted to write something, you would write it for your local newspaper or um, a, a national magazine or something like that. You would you would want to put that in a place where other people could read it as opposed to, you know, finding a place at paying to get this thing printed on an old fashioned printing press and walking mm -hmm. around town, handing it out to people or putting a stack in front of your local convenience store. Like how would you, you know, I'm going to make my own paper. No, well, no, you, you would, you would become a writer and a writer wrote for publications. And in a sense, that's what medium is, except that anybody who wants to write for it can write for it. But 
we're sh- we're seeing this shift, and it almost in a weird way, it's modern and it's new. It's sort of that YouTube Tumblr model of I can put something out there in this place where people will find it, and it it takes care of these details for me. But on, in the same way, it's it's a more traditional. Like if I was explaining this to my grandfather and I was trying to explain to him what a, a blog, if he were still around, what a blog was, he would, he would get that. It's like, I would say it's like making your own little personal newspaper that you put out there. And the first thing he would ask, cause he was a scientist is, well, how do people find stuff on it? Well, people would find stuff because- You might we, ask, how, how do you, how do you make it? Yeah. But you know, he, he was, he was smart enough to know that okay. there must be a tool to do that. He would assume there's, there are tools to do that. He would say, okay, how, do, how are people going to find this thing that you wrote? Because that's the reason you're writing it, right? And I'd say, well, Google will index it. He'd get that, you know, and, and, and other people will find it. And then when they find it, they will link to it in their own publications that will lead you back. And okay, this sounds messy. If you really think about it, it sounds chaotic. It sounds messy. Well, maybe a, a search engine will find it. Maybe people will link to it. But what if they're too lazy to link to it? Or what if the search engine takes a month to find it and it's timely? You know, these are these are the things that I feel like those publishing platforms like a medium tries to address is how can I get something that that I have to say out there in a way that if it's good, it will kind of bubble up to the top and people will find it. But I'm like you, exactly what you said. I'll follow a link to medium, but I'm not going to medium to find stuff to read. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like almost like if somebody suggested we go get a drink at this bar, yeah. that's not necessarily going to be a place that I go to every night, but if that's where you want to go, that's fine. <laughs> right. But there's, there's also been a funny <sighs> kind of in, not an inversion exactly, but there's been a funny thing that happened, which is people, people like me uh, were very, I, I was a very strong advocate for blogs and I was very I don't want to say defensive, but I was, I, I, I would kind of, anybody who looked at blogs and went, oh, that's just, that's silly stuff. That's all a bunch of a nonsense. I thought that was, I thought that was a little bit of shooting fish in a barrel because mm-hmm. I could point you to people whose photography work was on par with professional photographers who had watermarked the living bejesus out of their photos. You couldn't even see anything on them anymore. <laughs> I, you know, people who were doing, I mean, say what you will about the particular characters. Think about people like um, Clay Shirky, uh, Jeff Jarvis, Roger Ebert, to a large extent, people who took a, uh, a background in academia or you know straight journalism, or like in Jeff Jarvis's case, I think he had been in broadcasting. Roger Ebert was obviously Roger Ebert. I think Clay was mostly a very very intelligent um, a- academic, and all of those people were able to lend a lot of credibility to the idea of what I will just call online publishing. To the point where I'll say it again: I think some of the best stuff Roger Ebert's ever done. Uh, was was on the uh, Sun Times site. I mean, I, the stuff that he wrote was was just incredible and moving. And he just really seemed to go from being irascible to courageous in a way that I found really inspiring. You know, Clay Shirky, my God, everything that guy writes, he's just such a smarty pants. Jeff Jarvis, it's Jeff Jarvis. And so, uh, but 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 here's what happened. So back then, we say, oh well, look, look at this. It looks like more and more of actual capital J journalists, people who went to J school or people who have. You know, it's almost like like the reason my Wikipedia entry, which I haven't looked at in a really long time, never made it for a long time. It got voted down a lot. Was because mm-hmm. there wasn't enough citations about me from real places, right? From real places that that legitimize you. Like it's not enough that oh, he has a blog and was interviewed here. He's got to be a yeah. real person. You couldn't just say like I like this guy's stuff. It, it was stuff like being in the New York Times, being in the Wall Street Journal, being on NBC Nightly News, things like that. Like silly stuff that like made it seem credible. Um, but anyhow, I guess my point is that for a long time, blogging had 
the pretension of being more and more highbrow, of being better and better vetted. And it, it really was. I mean, so many people, I'm just going to say other people I followed. I can't speak for the world. But it's funny how more and more, uh, you know, those kinds of blogs caught on and then it got easier to blog and more and more people were doing it. Sometimes, you know, with, with extremely different results. Then you got MySpace coming up and that's like a whole different ball game. But it's funny how like as more people started doing blogging, I think everybody gets to a point where they're like, hmm, you know, uh, you know, they don't say this aloud, but like, I'm not really sure what I have to say today. So you start <laughs> doing more and more links from the AP. You start doing more and more uh, like Jason Cocky style Saturday night links to the Sunday New York Times, or classic cocky. Um, all more and more things where you're relying on what we call old media. As we look down our nose at all of these old media things, they're still the source of a ton of information for 10 years of blogging. It all, you know, Metafilter, so many of those articles start out and the great comment threads spin out of something that might have been in the Atlantic or might have been in Harper's or mm-hmm. whatever. But then what happened? Um, <laughs> more and more people were getting their news or were, were either not getting their news from newspapers and television on a regular basis, or they were getting it from The Daily Show, or they were getting it from online sources. And all those sources had much thinner revenue streams. So what happened? So, some of the worst aspects, as those numbers declined, as they had to lay people off, as those resources shrunk, they more and more turned to the upworthy taboodle style tricks of, of whatever that, you know, that service that's, that's on every page now. Like, oh, yeah, that weird uh, embedding, right. yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, the seven most important breasts <laughs> for your refi. You won't believe what happened next. And so, um, <laughs> but it, it, so it's kind of, we're getting to an interesting point though now where like, it really is. It's a lot of blogs pointing at blogs at this point. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I keep thinking Huffington Post is going to blow up, but I guess it's still doing really well. <laughs> but, um, you know, the snake can only eat its tail for so long before it gets back around to its mouth. Here's the thing, Dan. If you're going to have an Ouroboros... You're going to need a big mouth and a lot of snake. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> yeah. No, I think what where we are, though, now is is a place that I, you know, for a long time, it seemed like things had been figured out. Like, it seemed like, okay, you want to get the word out, you make a blog, you post to it on a regular basis, does well, so you put some ads up. You make a little bit of money, so uh, you you want more ads. Then you get rid of the ads and get on the deck. You know, like this was the path. This was the the road, and mm-hmm. and it's still a good road if you can do it. But you know, just like it's really, I think it's really hard these days for people who have something to say and who don't have some kind of following already, who don't have, who haven't done something or done something big. Uh, like, you know, almost being CEO of Apple or something. Um, it's really hard, I think, to, to, to establish that credibility or get that notoriety. Somebody, one of my friends was talking to me recently saying, what do you think of those uh, Twitter comedians? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, there are people who on Twitter, they haven't, they, they don't, they're not a writer. They're not on TV. They're not on the radio. They don't even have a blog. They're just funny on Twitter. Like that's their thing. They're funny on Twitter. And unlike most comics, yeah, right. But they fall, they fall, they are followed by a lot of people and they're not leveraging their audience to engage more, you know, and, and, and lead them to their, buy their products or services. They're just funny on Twitter. Like that's it. And this is a new thing of like, you can, you can right. make a joke in 140 characters and have a million followers, 
what are you doing with that? What's the point? Is the point just to be funny? Is it to make to, to, to build something to, you know, make a show called stuff my dad says, like where, where does that lead? You know, the, and that's, that's kind of, I think a different thing because the inspiration for so many people to write a blog was always, I've got something to say and I want to discuss this con this thing and spark conversation in my, in my comments. And, you know, and, and I think behind that for a lot of people was, gosh, I would really love to do this full time. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I, I want to be the next deuce or I want to be the next Gruber or Kotki or whatever and have this place that people will go to hear these things that I have to say because I'm passionate about this stuff and I would love to make a living doing it. But it doesn't seem like that's as possible anymore. How would you do that today? How would you do that today? Like, could yeah. you go and start a blog today with the goal of, I want to do this for a living if you weren't already a super known person because 10 years ago you could you would become a super known person by writing a really insightful blog about apple you could do that right yeah but you know also i think it, that was a more fertile time i mean what is it that makes a business environment fertile what is, it's it's somebody who's able to do something that seems asinine to everybody else because they think it's valuable um and and so so back then, it partly I think it was a smaller field of competitors in some ways. And back then, the money was not great. I think the only way I mean, one thing I want to mention, I uh, there's this podcast I like called "You Are Not So Smart," mm-hmm. uh, a celebration of self delusion, and it's a it's a really fun podcast. Yeah, uh, I, ta- I had a phone call with him. He's super super cool guy. Oh yeah, yeah yeah, he's great. I, and why do I never know his name, Dan? What is his name? Uh, the, and this is this is the thing. Like, I know his theme music, but I don't know his name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> David I'm McRaney. <laughs> it's Dave McRaney. Ah, uh, Dave McRaney, and he eats a cookie. He, he eats a cookie. And here's the thing about this is this is people know the name of the show more than they know him. And you're not the only person to say that. Well, the reason I meant yes, you're absolutely right. The reason I mentioned it in particular is this latest episode called The New Science Communicators. So it's kind of a show about like why it's a, kind of about cognitive biases in writ large. It's about all kinds of stuff that we think we know or we know wrong. It is on the face of it, it turns out show, but it's very well done. Uh, I like the guy a lot and it's, I never miss an episode. But in this latest one, he talked to this guy, Joe Hansen. And so, so part of the reason I feel somewhat unqualified to talk about anything in like the last three years of this stuff, I am so out of the loop because now I'm like, I'm like Marco or uh, where people mention things that everybody knows about and I have no idea what they're talking about. Like he had a guy, this guy, they're, they're talking about like YouTube channels that I'm doing this from memory, but YouTube channels that get like independent YouTube producers making science videos, like kind of, I don't want to say pop science, but like explaining scientific stuff in a way. And the following for this stuff is rabid. It's giant. I mean, like one of these videos will get more views than like Cosmos. It's so strange how quickly we went from TV being the place where like 40 million people would watch Hawkeye make somebody strangle a kid <laughs> to or chicken, no spoilers, but, but to, to, to where we are now where you can go and do that independently on your own. But I think there is a key to this and it's the key that's always been there. And I think Gruber and I talked about this in our uh, semi-famous uh, South, South by Southwest talk uh, 50 years ago is that, you know, I think you've got to look at it, what, whatever you're doing as a platform for, for your ideas and your personality in some ways. It's, I think the, the thing that is a dead end for, has been the dead end for a lot of people for a long time is thinking there's this model 
whether that's based on LPs or films, like, you know, feature films or whatever it is. There's this mind block people used to have of like, I will have arrived when I received the benediction of, and blessing and money of somebody who can help me make the thing that I've always wanted to make. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and <laughs> that's, a pretty, that's pretty crazy to think about that today, that you might go from film school to making your first film. Well, I bet you people who are in film school now have made a dozen films. You know, or they've done so much work on video yeah. since they were little kids. They've been playing with the with the handy cam or whatever. And now today, that's I think that that kind of thinking is very limiting because there are not that many people who are going to have the interest in giving that to you or take a chance on you unless you've demonstrated you can already do it on your own. So I think the two parts of it are like, yeah, you do have to go somewhere where the people are. Like if people, if you want to watch videos, it helps to put it on YouTube. Um, but I think then you also have to look at it as a platform to other things, which seems so obvious now. But people used to look at me with like, like a deer in the headlights when I would say this 10 years ago. But like think about like, well, so for myself, like when I started like Kung Fu Grip, it was an offshoot of my live journal where I felt like live journal should be where I talk about my life and stuff. And then Kung Fu Grip was going to be more of like a, a regular blog. Not that this matters to anybody, but just in terms of context. So, you know, but I, you know what I wanted? My goal above everything else, and just to be brutally honest, I wanted to be noticed by the people that I really admired. Right. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't think there was any chance I would ever become Jason Kotke or Heather Champ or John Gruber. But the very idea that I might write something or, you know, whatever, post something that they would see uh, and think didn't suck was a huge uh, driver for me. And that's a big driver of what kept me going. It didn't always make me do the best stuff. You know, there's always been link bait of one kind or another. Um, but, but I think, I think the thing that's still true today is you don't want to think, you want to think of it as like a step on a path rather than as a place that you've arrived. So once you've done this thing that lots of people aware are aware of, you know, then again, back to that South by Southwest talk, people are interested in the topic and the voice. They come for the topic, they stay for the voice. A lot of people, you go somewhere for the topic, and if you don't like the voice, you don't come back. I've tried like 50 different Doctor Who podcasts, and a lot of them like drive me crazy. There's things I'm super interested in, but like I don't get super into the people doing it. Whereas then there's other stuff where I could give a flying fig about the topic, but I <laughs> like the person talking about it. The latest episode of the talk show, they're talking about mobile phone sales, which I like, oh my God, just put fondue forks in my eyes. That is the most tedious topic in the world to me. But it was really interesting. Because uh, Gruber had the Stratechery guy on, and he's really smart. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that the, you know, the, the, the intermediate step has been, oh, I, I got a, a blog or a, an Instagram or whatever that lots of people like. Maybe I can get a book out of that. that was, that's kind of what the, the intermediate step was. Yeah. And then that inter- intermediate step became, hmm, I, uh, maybe I don't even need to get a, a publishing house to want to put out this book. You know, maybe it doesn't even have to be a book. Maybe that could be a t-shirt, or as we talked about on Roderick on the Line in regard to a, a mutual friend of ours, that could be an ice scraper that somebody wants to buy. Um, and I, I think that's, a, that's still a very interesting and very promising thing. But to finally get back to your question, I think it's probably way harder today to... It's kind of ironic, because if you started up, if you bootstrapped your own, like independent thing today, you really do still need the traffic and interest, either organic traffic and interest from people who are super excited about what you do and have a lot of, uh, throw a lot of heat in terms of traffic, uh, which is still no guarantee, or you need to buy it. You know, you need to go out there and like buy those dumb ads on Tumblr and stuff like that. It's very hard to do. I mean, obviously Tide or GM thinks it's easy enough to get into the Tumblr business and find some <laughs> posts. And all, all, I, just, I just see that little dollar sign and it just makes me mad. Like, I, I see what you're doing there, but like, that's, that's not why I'm here. 
So, you know, but anyway. it's a, but it, as a, an even more of a tangent, because, you know, we I'm always always dealing with like working with sponsors and advertising and things like that. And, and a lot of folks come to us and they're like, well, I know you sell for podcasts. Can you sell for websites, too? And we've talked to our sponsors about that, like would you want us to sell for, for sites and do banners and things? And they, almost all of our sponsors are like, oh, we love those sponsored posts. Like that's, that's the thing that they want right now is sponsored posts. Even if they're written by the author about a product or something like that, like the banner ads are, are not as popular. It's the sponsored posts. But I agree with you. It's like you get, you go to a site and I don't know, there's a strange line where now this author who's writing about, like, everybody should get paid for doing the stuff that they do. Why not? You know, if if you're lucky enough to have an audience and they typically want to support you and you have Patreon and these other uh, solutions coming to the aid of the independent creators to try and make it easier for them to say, I've got this cool thing. It takes takes me a lot of time to do it, but I love doing it. And you guys seem to like consuming it. Help me. Uh, but it, it's it's just so, it, everything feels like it's kind of splintering now. There used to be this model of, well, you, you have a site, you put ads on it, then the sponsored posts. And now, you know, all, all of these different channels for trying to, uh, to figure out how to do the stuff we like independently for a living, it's people make it out to be such an easy thing of like, oh, if you do something great, people will come to it and you'll make some money. But it's not. It's not easy. It's certainly not straightforward. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, but then when I do think about the people who are continuing to post on a semi-regular basis on sites that I like, it's almost always not their primary thing. You know what I mean? Somebody like Brent Simmons or Guy English or somebody who writes about nerd stuff that I, I like following. I mean, there's just, I don't know. I, I, think there's, I, I think that when it's something that you're doing because you really enjoy it and you want to put it out there and it's sort of this bespoke idea of, you know, here's, here's the thing that I wrote this month. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not on a schedule. I'm, I'm just putting this out. You know, I, um, I, I tend to be more attracted to that stuff. I just, I think... For now, anyway, people have sort of lost their zest for something that can't be shared instantly and digested quickly. Not that people are dumb or not that people are, are, are easily distracted, although that's probably always been the case for a lot of people. That sounded mean, and I didn't mean it to. But I mean, I'm not trying to say that everybody's dumb now at all. I'm not trying to say that. But, you know, it, it helps a lot to have something that's easy to share with people because that's why a lot of people are reading it because they're looking for something to share. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for edification and a way to improve their their life necessarily. Increasingly, they're looking for a way to have more things to feed into their own machine. And and that's and so that's that's where you know I think the medium length medium as in, you know, length of words, the medium length blog post on a hosted MT site is is not the path that it used to be. Yeah. Because that's not where people are reading, it's not where people are writing, and if people are sharing it, you'll get a spike for a while, but if you're looking for traffic and revenue and stuff, you're going to have to be shoveling so much stuff all day long. And you're going to have to be the stuff that you shove into your machine is going to have to be remasticated out of all these other people with a little more woofy. You hope you get noticed, you know, and you hope that you start to seem like a peer. You know, so right. I think that's a tough road. Oh my today. gosh, you just said something though that like is exactly it is that the whole concept of being a peer. It used to be there were authorities and there were the audience members of that a particular authority. This is a person who knows things, and 
something changed. I, I again, I'm going to point to Twitter for it that m- made those people seem accessible in some way. Twitter is, you know, even though you look at one guy, wow, he's got like 8 million followers. He must be somebody. You still have that, but you can, you can very easily tweet to that person. And there's a fair chance that unless they're in like Hollywood music industry celebrity level, that they'll probably reply to you. They'll probably talk back to you. And I know you do this because I, I've, you know, I, I follow your Twitter, but thank you. you oh, sure. But, uh, you reply to as many people as you possibly can. I try to do that uh, too. And there's, because I love that Twitter makes that possible. I don't have to like go to my email and write a reply and George comma, thank you very much. You know, it's just, they ask a quick question, you give a quick answer. Now you've had this really cool interaction. Mm-hmm. And I love the immediacy of that. And I love the fact that I can communicate with somebody who is a hero of mine or has written something really cool and have a little quick conversation with them about it. And that's all that it needs to be. But we don't, we're, we're, we're all becoming peers of one another in a very cool and, and, and interesting way, I think. And we're losing some of that barrier between, I am the authority and the creator and you are, you know, it's just, we're all people kind of talking about things that we're interested in. And I love that. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, we watched, uh, I'm so glad my daughter liked this. We watched the first half hour of a hard day's night last night. And like, there's the scene where the manager's like going to lock them in the train car until they answer all their fan mail. <laughs> right. And then of course there's that joke on the Simpsons from probably 1993 where Ringo Starr is still answering his fan mail from the early sixties. You're right. I mean, that's, 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 that's a lot of work if you try to try to do that by hand. I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't say I, I try to respond to everybody. Like if it's a, if it's a cool remark from somebody who's obviously like really listening, you know, I mean, I, I gave up a long time ago on, so who's Descartes? Like I gave up on those a long time ago, but, but you know, if somebody writes something or sends a link, you know, um, I, I, I like, I like talking to people. I mean, that's, that's what it's great for. And it really is great for stuff like, here's a link to something, you know, we should do some follow up actually. Here's a link to something related to Glengarry Glenn Ross that you should see or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's a, it's a perfect medium for that. But I don't know. Maybe it's just a consequence of getting older, but more and more, I guess I feel like I really realize how, how much in the infancy of so many things. We really, we, we're still so much in the infancy. I remember like when OS ten the beta, the beta of OS ten came out, you could get that disc for 25 bucks. And, you know, it just seemed like, I, I felt like I had already lived an entire lifetime on the Mac. And I felt so comfortable, you know, with uh, System 9 at that point. And I just remember that seeming like so foreign to me. And now that's 13 years ago already. I know. I know. And you just realize like how rapidly all of this stuff changes and how quickly we go from something that's received wisdom that everybody, I mean, could you have imagined like that MySpace would not be as popular as this? As if, could you imagine that yeah. like six, seven years ago? No way. Un, in like undisputed. And I think it looks like Facebook's trying to be smarter about that by buying these companies and trying different things and having a different idea about oh, what the they writing, actually are. The, the writing is on the wall for them as far as what could happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but I mean, for the, the, the whole fact that MySpace was so big and pervasive and is essentially obliterated from the history of the human race now, you know what I mean? Except as a, as a, a referential joke or something. It, Facebook has seen that and they've, they, they need to pay attention to that and try to not be that. And, you know, it's funny because we've talked about this before. There's sort of like, there's Twitter people 
and there's Facebook people. And very rarely are there Twitter Facebook people unless they're like SEO gurus, right? Like I, I agree. I agree. I think some people like to like to say that's not true, and I disagree. I think it's like baby people and dog people. You're always going to like one more than the other. And if you're if you're more of a Facebook person who's kind of a Twitter person, I think it's reflected in the way that you use Twitter. And you know what I mean. And being a person who doesn't use Facebook, in my case, I can't tell what that means on Facebook. I think you're totally right, though. I think, you know, and, and you go where your friends are. You go where the smart people are. You go who, where the people you want to reach are. You know what I mean? But I'll tell you, if you think there's any, any one kind of anything user, go do a search on something. Go do, you know, I think they deprecated the public timeline on Twitter a pretty long time ago. I think yeah. it's still out there. You can find it. But just go do a search on anything. I realize how, on the one hand, how incredibly out of touch with the entire world, so delightfully out of touch I am, like people, I mean, how many people just their entire account is predicated on trying to get Justin Bieber to follow them? Did you, do you know about this? No. Oh, yeah. There's like a whole thing you do where you like change your title, like, please follow me, Justin. And it's just all you do all day long is beg Justin Bieber to follow you. And like, that's a thing. So like, yeah, I guess you could go search something like Justin, Justin Follow or something like that. But there's that. There's just this, the inscrutable diarrhea of, of Latin letters that, that I guess it's a sentence to somebody, but I, I feel like, I feel like I'm at the Algonquin round table as far <laughs> what, as like, wait, what is that? Oh, you know, that's Dorothy Parker and all the, uh, the New Yorker people oh, back right. in the twenties. But I, I really, I feel like, <laughs> I, I really feel like everybody I know is like a, really a brainiac because you, you just, maybe I, I'm really just picky about who I follow. It doesn't feel that way sometimes. But, uh, you know, I just feel like, gosh, at least everybody I, I, I know writes in sentences. I think that's kind of not a thing anymore. It's not a cool thing to do, but, uh, eh, I got nothing. Um, did you want to tell me about something that you like, Dan? I would like to tell you about our friends over at Linda, lynda.com. Just think NDA, L-Y-N-D-A, because they're going to help you keep up to date with pretty much everything. I mean, they've got software uh, videos so that you could learn how to, do, to, to use Final. I always pick Final Cut Pro because th this thing is so massive, uh, but it's not just Final Cut Pro. Everything down to, to the basic stuff. Google, you, they've got stuff on Google Docs. They've got Microsoft Office. They've got uh, stuff for iWork. You want to learn how to edit podcasts and GarageBand? They've got, they've got videos for that. You name it, they're over there teaching it. And the people that are teaching it are really, really good at what they do. They're not people who themselves have just learned how to do it so they could make a video. They're industry professionals. They're people who, uh, who, who enjoy what they do and enjoy teaching and, and talking about it. And this is a really the best way, I think, to go and pick up new skills. You don't like your job. You want a better job. You want a promotion. You just want to learn something as a hobby. Start here. They've got uh, getting things done courses, in, you know, done by David Allen. I mean, he's there. He's actually in the video. He's in the video. He's like, talk about an endorsement. I mean, they have over 2,400 courses taught by the people who know what they're doing. And they're adding more every single week. They work with uh, directly with software companies to provide training. I mean, it's sometimes the same day that a new version drops, they've got a video on it. And the way that it works is you, uh, you sign up for a monthly subscription and it's 25 bucks a month. But what you get is access to everything, every single thing that's, that's on their site, every video. You can watch them as many times as you want. And the, the amazing part of this is uh, just think about what you can learn in a month. That's 30 days. Some of these courses are a few minutes long. Some are an hour long. You watch one every day. 
you know, instead of coming home and, you know, watching, uh, you know, reruns of Taxi, you could be watching this. Huh. Well, I mean, it, as you do. Yeah. So th- this is my advice to you is go to Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com. And you can watch this on your computer. You can watch it on a tablet. You can watch it on a mobile device. Imagine it on your commute uh, as soon as you're done listening to an episode of Back to Work and then the news, you would go and watch one of these things. <laughs> so basically, nice. we, yeah, I know. We got a special uh, URL, lynda.com slash back to work, spelled out back to work. That is going to give you a seven-day free trial. They probably don't want me to talk about how many videos you could actually probably watch in seven days? Because I twenty four video twenty four hundred videos you could probably watch a good third of them, and that's what you'll get unrestricted access to everything for those seven days. And if you like it, uh, you, you sign up right there. So that'll help support the show, but it'll help you. Uh, so go to lynda.com slash back to work. Thank you very much uh, to our friends at Linda for supporting uh, Back to Work with Merlin Man. Dan Benjamin, it's a good outfit. <clears throat> um. We could talk more about that the blog stuff. That's that's it's interesting, you know. It's uh, hmm hmm. It's nice to get a little older and realize how dumb you are. It makes me much more open and curious. Yeah, well, I used to think <laughs> I, I used to be curious about different kinds of things. I think I used to mostly be curious about things that would prove how smart I am. Yeah, and now I'm I, there's I realize how many things I just don't know or don't understand, or how many things that I thought were this fixed point in time are actually this weird continuum. And uh, I don't know. That's I think that's a good change, probably. Well, I, it is a change, and I think. Any anything different? I used is to good. think I got this. I used to think oh. of myself. I used to think. No, here's what I'm saying: is like I've done like work for people about this stuff, about you know how to do stuff. Uh, I don't want to say it was social media, but like how to try and modernize what you do based on what I knew. And I, I think I actually kind of did know stuff at one point, but man, there's so much stuff to know right now, and uh, I don't know. It's daunting. I don't. I don't know what's next. I don't know what medium is going to be. Like, I don't know how long Facebook will be something people continue to pour their time into. Or Twitter. But, I mean, you know, the fact is Twitter. that these things could just could just go away. It's like when people use, you know, some external thing to host their podcast because people are asking me about this over the weekend. Like, where do you host your your shows and how does that work? And what if, you know, what if I'm just like a guy with a show? Where do I put my show? And, you know, a lot of the services and things that we rely on uh, could could go away. I mean, if... You know, if you're running your own blog and it's on movable type and you're paying for the hosting and the hosting company comes to you and says, we're shutting our doors, you can move that. You can take it somewhere else, you know. But what if Medium <laughs> doesn't work out or what What if Twitter doesn't work out? Like it's what hard. If, what if you're on Libsyn? Yeah. You have so many links. I know. Oh. I know. If anybody out there works with Libsyn, please talk to me. I've got I got a guy. The guy, uh, the guy I, I got a guy. Oh, my God. I need a guy. But, uh, you know, but that that scares me. I want to understand the relationship that I have with the company that I'm relying on for the stuff that I'm creating. I want to know what that is. And I don't know what that is with Twitter. I guess it's through advertising, but I don't know. And the idea, like I think of Twitter and especially I visited Twitter the last time I was in San Francisco. A few of us went out there and we saw one of one of their three or four amazing cafeterias. And I want to talk to you about cafeteria culture in San Francisco, maybe after dark or something. Yes, I would enjoy that. Uh, but like I went there and I, I was in awe of this place. It's so massive and there's so many people there. And yet, like, what do they do? What are they all doing? And 
what? Nothing. I'm smart enough and old enough now to know that just because there's this massive place with these really talented, enthusiastic, smart employees, that is absolutely no guarantee that they're going to be around uh, for more than another year or five or ten. I mean, look at what Microsoft is going through right now, wow. announcing yeah, a bunch of layoffs. Sounds, have they announced it officially? No, they have. They haven't announced officially. That, well, maybe they did. I read but something this estimating morning. Estimating it could be yeah. like five thousand people. Can you believe that? Yeah. If Jeez. I if if I laid off uh, two people, it would be like most of the people that were. You know what I'm saying? Like no, I, I can't imagine five thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. And this is Microsoft. This is the the big company that will always be around. We look at Apple right now as as successful as they are, as much money as they have. Like. Who knows? Well, fortunately, I think they're uniquely uh, suited to leverage their opportunity scape. Wow, that was a hell of a memo. <laughs> you know, you? Here's, here's, a, here's a thing, here's a thing <laughs> related to this that I, I think happens. Um, and uh, I don't know, if it's, it's almost maybe a flavor, I was going to say a flavor of the innovator's dilemma, but I don't know if that's the case. But, you know, there'll be something out in the world. And I think Twitter is a good example of this. Or, okay, let, let, let's even go historically. You might go something like, like Orcut or, or something like Friendster, where you hear about this thing out in the world. And I think most people's first reaction, unless you're in a particular mood to seek out new stuff, your initial reaction is, Ugh. you know, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're very mindful, you might say, that's not for me. Uh, if you're not as mindful, you might go, that's stupid. Like, why does anybody do that? You know, why does anybody, I mean, if you really think about going to a baseball game, it's kind of a silly thing, unless you really enjoy it and your friends go, in which case it's like the best thing in the world. So you hear about something like this, like a service in the case of something like Twitter, you know, Twitter, I was in, I think they never released it, but they shot a big video with a whole bunch of people talking about how they use Twitter. And uh, I don't know if they ever put it out. This was back in probably, I don't know, 2008 or nine. Uh, for a long time, they really struggled to try and explain to people like what it was for. And it was almost like they were thinking out loud by explaining to themselves what it was for too. <laughs> right. Because I'm not sure anybody agreed on what it was for. And you need that. This is what it's for in order to get people interested. Failing uh, as we've seen many times, failing at being able to explain what it's for, you can say who is here. So J Random Sports Star, uh, you know, or you know, MC Dish Soap or whoever is is on our service, and therefore that'll give you an idea what this is for. Mm-hmm. But I think it starts out as this kind of a black box, and you go like, I don't. Not only do I not know what this is, um, I don't really even want to know what it is because it seems really wackadoodle. Maybe you hear about it long enough, you start to get a little curious about it, so you might check it out. And then in my, in my experience, you know, if my friends are there on this service or if somebody I like is doing this thing, this could be rotisserie football, uh, whatever it is. There's, there's so many different things that you end up doing because other people do it. Now, not to be a joiner, but because it's fun. And then you go, oh, this is kind of cool. And then bong, you dive into it 100%. You spend all of your time uh, on your removable type templates and, or whatever it is, or you get completely absorbed in this, in this, uh, in this app. And then that really without you even realizing it, in a relatively short period of time, that can go from something that I didn't even need to know about to something that I'm pretty satisfied with, like this is neat, to like you start using it for a while, you're involved, and then eventually you're like, ah, this is for me. Or, again, invisibly, it suddenly becomes, this is my thing. Like, this is my thing. REM is my band, Mm -hmm. right? Movable type is my CMS. And you start getting really cleft to a certain idea of what it is. Twitter, right? I mean, let's be honest, the Twitter of today, there's been like four different Twitters. It's real different than how it started out. 
And each time they introduce a change, you'll hear people saying, like, you know, there'll be an uproar about it because it's not what we're used to. And it does, it feels like it's no longer the thing that you came and then stayed there for. And then maybe eventually enough stuff changes that you start to say, well, maybe this isn't really for me anymore. And then eventually maybe you get really mad or maybe you just stop noticing it. It just kind of goes away. And I think that's kind of a life cycle. It's not a super insightful thing, but I think that's a life cycle. You go from, this is not really so much for me. This is for me. This is mine. And then there's a, maybe a long tail out to, this isn't for me anymore. And I think that's, that, that's what happens with something like a Twitter. The, the upshot being, this is really for somebody else now. And so like, if you look at the way most people use these services, you look at the fact that like, so, such a small number of people actually like, ever post anything. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I remember that, that number, that ratio of how many people are essentially just lurking on Twitter, that they don't really interact or that, that what they're doing on Twitter is like, I always enjoy this, when somebody's posts are all, essentially they use Twitter as a, an IM service. So they're like, it's just always with like the same three people, right? Like Frank, I'm walking over to registration. Where are you? Like that's, that's their Twitter feed is full of just that or, or other people who are sort of, I don't even think they know they're doing it, but just sort of ambiguous on, on Twitter. And it's sort of like, like they don't think of Twitter as a real thing. It's just sort of like, uh, not like they're too good for Twitter, but they're not really going to like, uh, you know, bought something awesome today. Well, yeah, and you might have, I mean, this is something <laughs> what is Clay, that? <laughs> I know, right. Um, Clay Sharkey talked about this uh, at uh, eTech, an eTech that I was at a million years ago, which he called it the Live Journal Power Curve, I think. And he did this amazing illustration of the number of, like a, a graph of number of people by followers and how they follow. And it was super interesting and really disproportionate, like really like almost like logarithmic uh, stuff. And, um, so I think I think probably most most people. What the hell does that mean? But I think a lot of people use it the way you're describing, which is to respond to other people, mm-hmm. to have a conversation there. But I'm with you. I, I sometimes I'm really baffled. I'll like if I'm fi- feeling like something somebody said is inscrutable. Boy, I should never do this. I go and look at their account, and I go, hmm, what kinds of conversations do they have with people? And it might just be like pure rage, or it might just be like that. They, all they've done is respond to like lots of people who are semi well known to very well known and it's it's really interesting but that's that's what they use it for they use it in a small group um yeah i'm not sure where i'm going with this but it's uh it, it is huh, yeah it's 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 difficult to know what's next i know um, one thing for me and this is almost certainly projecting but i feel like there was a time and this this could be age could be just how things change it could be the the quickening could be the Snowpiercer train coming our way. <laughs> but th- there, there was a time where like, I, would, I would jump into stuff and stick with it for a pretty long time. And then it would, it would kind of uh, trail away, not so much. Like what? Um, jump it when you say stuff, what do you mean? Well, like, like a, Friendster. Like a, I remember um, in particular with, with Friendster, my wife, we were in Santa Cruz, and my wife was doing um, like an off-site thing for a bunch of the doctors in the program that she worked at. And so she was busy all day and I was sitting in this fancy hotel room with a pretty good internet connection. And I'll never forget the day I got a friend request or a connection request from Heather Champ. And I was like, ah! It was like the skies had opened and I felt like I had really arrived. And I jumped, like all four limbs, I jumped into Friendster. And I thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. And I, I, I mean, I really, I got so into it. I guess the only story is that like, I feel like with each new thing, and this is probably age, I feel like I get less super interested in it 
and then I stick with it not quite as long. It's not as resilient. That might partly be that like I have channels I already like, but like I've never downloaded Secret. Um, I don't use Instagram. Um, I mean, partly for me, maybe that's fulfilled by Twitter and Tumblr. But even like Vimeo, I used to put a lot of stuff on Vimeo. Yeah. And it was actually kind of a lively community. And now I, I posted something privately yesterday just because I needed a place to host a big file. And that's like the first time I've uploaded something to Vimeo and I, I don't even know how long. I remember Vimeo being the community that you're talking about. And uh, why did it change? What, what happened to Viddler? You know, like these things just sort of... Yeah, Viddler, that, was, that just went away. Yeah, they're still there. And we, and we have tons of content from video, video stuff that we put up there. But, you know, these things... I think they, uh, they pivoted, Dan. I think they did a pivot. <laughs> these things Didn't they pivot yeah i think they did these things they just, pivoted they, to uh b to b i think well i guess but that w- what are they going to do when you have something like vimeo which is also not the same as it was and you have youtube that's you know now kind of the big dog and maybe the only one and the only dog the only dog and i don't know the alpha dog but yes. you wind up we'll talk to brett about that and you talk about you know, the future of the th- stuff that we're doing on Twitter. But when you put something on Twitter, you know, like I, somebody just replied to something I posted on Twitter from 23 days ago. Oh, I know. Isn't that odd? It's crazy. Now that's different from somebody posting to, you know, a, a blog post that I wrote a year ago or three years ago. I, I got a response to something that was like four years old. It was a really <laughs> from Twitter minor, from somebody who's crazy, but it was <laughs> somebody who's crazy. And I spent the entire morning reading her crazy Twitter feed. Yeah. But yeah, she responded to this one thing in this completely weird, bombastic way. And then I went and kind of followed. I was like, oh, yes, I know who that is. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, doesn't that seem odd? I heard somebody recently say, um, and I'm sorry, I can never cite where I heard things, but somebody was saying that basically Twitter's like live TV, that li- it's TiVo-less live TV, that like the way that you can like, survive with Twitter is to just treat it as a thing that goes by. And like you could try to catch up with it, but you're better off to just look at what's most recent. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it, it's pretty ephemeral. But you know, even that that situation where I might wake up and uh, drinking coffee in the morning, and I'm like, oh, I need to figure this thing out, and I'll be like, oh, this thing happened with the Mac Mini, whatever, and I'll I'll get some replies right away. And after the fifth or sixth one, somebody will be they will come up with a solution for this is the adapter you needed or whatever, and. Like hours later, as people on the West Coast wake up, then they will, I guess they're looking at their Twitter stream, right? So they'll reply to me, even though the problem was solved two hours earlier while they were asleep. And then later on, inevitably, you will say that, oops, ignore me. I'm still catching up with my feed. Like this happens all the time. And and we don't see that as much with email because if you look at your inbox and your inbox is somewhat sane. It's always threaded too. it's, It's threaded now. We have threading, thank God. But- You'll see that, oh, someone replied and said, never mind, I got it figured out. But we don't have that really on Twitter. And Twitter has become our second inbox, hasn't it? Where we can optionally (laughs) reply to things or not. But very much for me, like as I'm there in the morning drinking coffee, wrangling my kids, getting them ready, I'll look at things on my phone and it's sort of like what email came in because that's really important. And then what tweets came in because that's secondarily important. And then did anything, you know, did uh, you know my family member who's traveling post anything good to Instagram is sort of my third thing. You know what I mean? Like this is sort of mm-hmm. this this priority of now the multiple inboxes that I have that, you know, Instagram is my uh, inbox for images. Email is my inbox for mainly business related stuff. And Twitter is my mainly friend inbox. And they just, they have different apps and interfaces that go along with them. But, you know, and Facebook is the th- application I never launch. <laughs> 
I use uh, Tweetbot most places that I can, and so for me, like Command Shift C is muscle memory now, like show conversation. Oh, right. Such a great feature that I'm forever, or at least, you know, view detail for this to like find out what the context for it is, you know, and I guess they do that now on the homepage version, but then that doesn't honor my many, many mutes. (laughs) Mutes are important. Yes. Yes, I agree. Uh, We, can I pivot? Please. Okay. Is this the show? Oh uh, well, I mean, I'm ready to be, to start. I haven't started recording yet, but okay, this will never this will never go. No, up. this will never air. Uh, I just want to do well. Actually, you know what? I'm going to promote something too. I don't usually uh, promote this per se, but yesterday's episode of Roderick on the Line, uh, episode 117, put on the carrot hat. I mention it because. <laughs> Aren't you curious? I mentioned uh, no, it, I I'm mentioned very it because uh, uh, a few people, not a lot, we don't have a giant audience, but a, a few people have mentioned that they thought it was very back-to-work-esque, talking a lot about um, you know barriers, tools, creativity <laughs> type stuff. Mm. So anyway, that's in show notes if you want to check it out. Um, and uh, can, we, can we do two pieces of Glengarry follow-up? Oh, please, please. I've been waiting for an hour and five minutes. I got two pieces here. You might have more. Okay. Yeah, two very interesting uh, questions related to leads. In the leads. Glen- leads. One, one that I think a couple people wrote about, why are the Nyborgs still in the pile of leads if they know that they aren't good leads? Yes. And- yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> That's sometimes, what I was. That's what made me late for the show. You really, sometimes you get it, Dan. Sometimes <laughs> you really pull it out. That's a good one. Um, and then the other question, which is uh, a bit of a poser, is uh, we see uh, when uh, when Tony Roma is, as you call him, when Ricky is talking to um, Link, he pulls out a brochure. I oh, know this bothers me. This one really creeped me out and freaked me out. I didn't respond because I, I don't have a specific answer. So the two questions, why are the Nightbooks still in the lead pile at all? And, and, and B, uh, did Ricky actually have the Glengarry leads or a Glengarry lead before other people did? Jump in anywhere. All right. Well, let me take uh, the first part first. Okay. Because I, I had a theory, but then the guy came back and I, I think he sort of... Uh, I think this one's pretty easy. Well, my thought is why the Nyborgs are in is that they, they continue to fill out forms and submit their names and put their names because they love to, just talking to salesmen. So they're constantly filling out forms and rebate forms and whatever else that would re-put them on the list. And that the person who's maybe creating the little blue cards with the Avery labels on them uh, are, you know, maybe they're not quite vetting uh, the 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 Nyborgs and or they know the Nyborgs are sort of a waste of time, but you know it, maybe that's who they're going to give to the, the the people that aren't closing because they still need to give those people leads. Everybody gets two leads, one for today, one for tomorrow. So you know they're they're going to give them a lead even though they know it's a bad lead. At least they're giving it, and who knows? Maybe one day that that the lead will close, and you know something will happen. But clearly that that uh, Williamson is only giving the good leads to the people that he knows will close them. They're only, you know, he's not going to give the Nyborgs to, to Ricky, right? Right. Yeah, so the, the question really is, um, isn't like, why is it there? But why is it there if they know the Nyborgs aren't a good lead? Or I guess, consequently, like how did, how did they not get removed from the pile? In general, just always removed. 
Right. Yeah. And I think I think the, the the there's a pretty plausible explanation, which is they've just got this big pile of leads that get kind of churned around, and so maybe I mean we see that somebody else has gotten the Nyborg lead before. Maybe part of the thought is, well, you know, actually, some leads is better than no leads, right? If we got it, we got to give these guys leads, and all we have right now are this pile of old ones. That's still, I mean, that happens in sales calls all the time. Don't you do that with sales? Yeah. Where sometimes, sure, you would love to have ten really hot pre-qualified opportunities who are ready to sign on the line, which is dotted. But there's also the chance that you might want to follow up with somebody who is an extremely weak lead because something might have changed. If you got nothing else, you're going to go with even the crappy ones because you're a salesman and you want to close. So I guess my thought was that, that this is far, their, their system is far from scientific. It really is a big pile of cards. And uh, so I think it just got, it, it I think at this point probably they will cross it out and take it out of the pile and probably let the lead people know, hey, this is, you know, not a not a good one. Yeah, but it definitely feels to me like it's a different operation, the place that's that's generating the that that is organizing and sending out the leads. That's one thing and the that's people a good, that's who are a good actually point. vetting. Yeah, like them where and, do they actually talking. come from? They're buying them from somebody. But I, I yeah, I think it's I think it's just kind of a coincidence, but it's also just that they don't the, the reason everybody wants the Glengarry leads is that they're all they have left are these crappy ones that everybody's seen before. They kind of say it you know, in, in the movie, but you know, I, I guess it would, it would help the lead generation system to be able to like, say, look, you know, stop giving us this one, but I don't know if that helps, but that's why I think I don't, I, you know, I don't know. But in the second one is really troubling. Like this could be, that could be explained fully by just administrative BS. The, the, uh, the real problem we have is Ricky Roma's sitting out that he's sitting at the bar with link. He's closing link, right? Right. And he's got this brochure. What does it say? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Is there a hell on earth? Could be. (laughs) Does this mean something? So be it. (laughs) You should get that one. I will. I'll get those. (laughs) And so, but it's a, yes, it's a color brochure. And I think it says Glengarry Highlands. It does. It says Glengarry Highlands across the top. And so a listener, whose name I should know, um, a listener says, how is it that he's, uh, on the night before the, the night that previous to the Glengarry Leeds being announced and arriving at the office, like how does he, how is he selling Glengarry? And I think this might be pretty straightforward or it might be a, a huge puzzle. So the implication being, hey, did somebody give a Glengarry lead to Ricky in advance of the, is that kind of the implication? That, it, that is the implication, I think. But that concerns me because then that would be putting, uh, that would be putting Ricky over the top in a way that wasn't fair and would like kill the competition. And and also, how did he have the leads ahead of time? Because. Blake Come showed on, up assume, with the leads. I would, yes, yes. He, that, yes, that showed, yes, he, yes. That showed he was showing up with the leads. Like he, I, he had the leads in his hand and then Williams had him, Williamson had him in the thing. And yet, no, okay. So here's my response to that. Here's my thought about that. Okay. And the only, only explanation I have. Just because they didn't have the new Glengarry leads. Those were leads that they were going to be set. That 
I'm sure that Ricky, who's on top of his game, already knew about the Glengarry Highlands and that they were going to be selling them and had already been begun familiarizing himself with it, knowing that he was going to be getting the leads within the next few days. But I don't think that there's a limit. Uh, maybe he could be pitching the Glengarry Highlands without the Glengarry leads. In other words, yes. I have the crappy leads, but I'm still going to pitch him on the Glengarry Highlands because this is what I want to sell because you know what? This is the new stuff and I'm going to get it. You know, I, so let me pitch this even to the crappy old leads. But here was a new lead. In fact, here was an, a, 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 a brand new lead that wasn't in any system because I met him at a bar. I'm going to show him the best stuff I got, which is the Glengarry Highlands. He yeah, just had the I, brochure. It didn't connect him with the leads. It didn't imply that he had the leads. Link wasn't a lead. Link, Link was a guy he met in a bar. Yes. Yes. Yo, you're waiting for it. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I think I think it's um, a poorly explained coincidence because I, I I I don't see now I don't have the movie in front of me but I, I think you know well first of all what are the name what do, what do names mean <laughs> what do they really you know it's just they name it whatever they're going to name it doesn't right matter. it's just that, it's just a, a stock a, photo it, it doesn't matter what that's a photo of you can call it anything that you want <laughs> yeah right. It's all it's all swamp. Yes. Right. So the I think part of it is there's two, there's two parts. The one part is, yes, that's confusing. I think it's I think it might be that Glenn Gary is the current event. I think that's the current sales event, I guess, is what's going on right now. The other thing that's confusing, though, like nomenclature wise, is when you say Glenn Gary lead in my brain, I'm hearing those are the leads from a previous Glenn Gary sales project. Mm -hmm. I thought that meant like when we sold Glenn Gary, whatever years ago. These were the best leads we ever had, so we know these people are primed. But I guess, and now that I think about it, it makes more sense to say, these are the leads for selling Glengarry. Is that, you think that's what they mean? That's what they mean. They mean, these are the people who have been well-vetted as being potentially interested in, and ready to sign on the line, which is dotted for this land that we are selling. These yeah. are who we would like you to pitch this particular piece of crap swamp land to. I think he's just closing. He's, he's just closing. He's Ricky Roma and he's closing. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's kind of a coincidence. Or, you know, could be an alternative universe. Right, <laughs> like 1616. Everything we know, well, everything, everything we know is, uh, you know, Glengarry uh, 616. I don't. <laughs> Jesus, what has happened to the show, Dan? I don't know. Oh, yes. gosh. Yes. 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 I got I to gotta get uh, someone to, to clean that up a little because that's the rain in the background. Yes. Do you hear that rain? Yes. You can a man all you want. You can't whip a dead horse. <laughs> Let's button this up. All right. I love you. I love you too, Merlin Man.